Okay, so it's Palm Sunday. Greg will be preaching on this very shortly. And uh, I'm going to read from John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. That's uh, John 12, 12 to 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Thanks be to God for his word. And now it's over to Greg. Thank you, Jeff. Um, and thank you to the, uh, to, the, well, to the church, first of all, for the very kind gift and the card and the flowers that arrived yesterday. And to all of those who came round and knocked on our door and gave us gifts and cards and things yesterday. We really appreciate that and we really feel loved. I think the dishwasher repairman wondered what on earth was going on um, as the door rang every time he every time someone left, someone else arrived. Um, so thank you all. We really did feel appreciated. Uh, we, we do still feel appreciated and loved, but we particularly felt it yesterday. Um, when I did a um, uh, well, sorry, when I took my sabbatical a few years ago, three years ago now, um, one of the things I did was to take a course in Salisbury at Sarum College on um, how different spiritual Christian spiritual traditions approach scripture. Uh, I found it really helpful, actually, uh, and really interesting. It forced me to, um, to adopt some ways of looking at scripture that I never had before. Uh, it also opened up for me some, some other ways of touching scripture and one of the the things we looked at was what's called the Ignatian approach to scripture it's the way the Jesuits approach scripture um, so this morning we're going to try some Ignatian spirituality some of you will get really upset about this but we're going to give it a go uh, there's nothing unchristian about it uh, and it's actually I think quite helpful it's actually helped me particularly as I read things like the gospels and the narrative portions of scripture but even as I read things like Paul's letters sometimes as well so th what the way that Ignatians approach particularly the Gospels and particularly the account of the Easter story is as you read it to imagine yourself in the story they really try to enter the the narrative of what they're reading so we just heard an account from Jeff um, in John's Gospel and I'm a bit nervous about talking about John as we have a Johannine scholar on the call this morning um, but 
we read the account in John's gospel of Jesus entry into Jerusalem. So in the in the spirit of imagining ourselves into it, I just want you to come back with me about 2000 years. Imagine that you're a Jewish believer who's come up to Jerusalem, maybe from Galilee for the Passover. There are thousands of people in the city uh, and around the city. And the Romans are getting a bit concerned about disorder, which is always a concern when there are this many people in Jerusalem. The Romans can't understand why these Jewish people all have to come to Jerusalem for festivals. Why can't they just celebrate them at a local temple near their homes like the Romans do? And added to that, Jerusalem is awash with stories about a Galilean man who these people claim at least, called into a tomb to a man who'd been dead for three days and that man, Lazarus, came back to life. You're desperate to see him uh, and you're also very mindful that today's the day that you have to get hold of a lamb for the Passover and bring it to your home to look after it until you slaughter it later in the week or bring it to where you're staying. And suddenly you hear that this man, Jesus, is on his way into Jerusalem. The whole place goes wild. I can remember once we were in Badajoz in Spain, where most people, for reasons I really don't understand, supported Atletico Madrid, the football team. And we were there on the day that Atletico won the league something that doesn't seem particularly special to me, but the whole city went absolutely mad. People crammed into cars, drove around the city, honking their horns and waving flags. Every fountain in the city was filled with people dancing. And there were people filling the streets, shouting the whole night long. Um, in fact, our Simon went out with the guy we were staying with to savour the atmosphere. And I imagine that what we read in this account of John's is a bit like a first century version of that in Jerusalem. You're caught up with the crowd and you start grabbing palm branches and waving them, passionate for your people's deliverance for your, from, your oppressor, from the hand of your oppressors, the Romans. And as you wave this symbol of resistance and nationalism, you find yourself shouting along with the others, Hosanna! which, as Jeff just told us, doesn't just mean save, but it's also a more general, or had become by that point, a more general shout of praise as well. And others in the crowd are shouting, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting Psalm 118. And some of the really bold ones start shouting, blessed is the King of Israel. And in the midst of all of this, you see a man, an ordinary looking man, riding on a, donkey, a young donkey and the crowds parting in front of him as they continue shouting themselves hoarse and waving their palm branches. And as you look in one direction, you see some Roman soldiers holding their weapons a little bit more tightly and their centurion giving them orders. The younger ones, or the younger looking ones, and that's a sign you're getting older is when the, young, when the Roman soldiers start looking young. Some of the younger ones are looking a bit nervous and twitchy. So you start moving away from where they are just in case of trouble. As you're walking away, you also notice a gaggle of Pharisees for whom the ideal description 
would be a word that I'm not allowed to use in church, but they're not happy. They look as though they're having a bit of an argument um, about what they should do. And they're beginning to look a bit irrelevant now that this man who can raise the, even the dead has turned up. It's as though their power is beginning to drain away from them. And from what you've heard, every time they've tried to catch him out or demonstrate their knowledge and power, he's made complete fools of them. And all the while, you can hear people telling others in Galilean accents that this is the man who just a few days ago called out to Lazarus to come out of the tomb after he'd been dead for three days. And he had. It was incredible. You're beginning to get nervous at the twitchy soldiers and the screaming Pharisee, uh, scheming Pharisees, sorry. And you've still got to sort out the lamb, which was why your wife sent you out in the first place. Many of us know that feeling, don't we, where we forget what we went out for. You, so you lay down your palm branch and you go away wondering what on earth these strange goings on can mean. Now, I've gone a bit beyond what the text actually says there. Um, I think I've probably imagined it reasonably well. But um, so please, if, if, if you're not happy about any of the details, just let them go. Um, so what do we take from this passage? Well, there aren't many things that are recorded in all four Gospels. Um, Jesus' birth, in fact, for instance, is only mentioned in Matthew and Luke. But all four gospel writers record this event of Jesus entering Jerusalem. That says to me that it must be important. John strips back, actually, quite a bit of the detail. Uh, so he perhaps gives us a unique view of what the important elements are. So the elements of this episode are five days. First of all, five days before the Passover, there are large numbers of people in Jerusalem, many of whom have heard about Jesus, uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. They hear that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and they take palm branches and go out to meet him, shouting and quoting from Psalm 118. Jesus rides on a young donkey. And in John's account, he also quotes Zechariah 9 verse 9. And the meaning of all of this, it says, is lost on the disciples until much later. And then the last bit of this episode that we read in John's gospel is that the Pharisees become really disheartened at Jesus' popularity. And they appear to resolve on a different approach to what they see as the problem of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to pick out a few aspects of this narrative as we ponder it together. First of all, timing. John's gospel, or John himself, is usually a bit vague about timing and the sequence of events. Uh, it really frustrates a lot of modern readers when they try to read John's gospel and it doesn't appear to be in the same sequence as others. And to some, that's a problem. But it's actually just the way John is telling the narrative. Um, but it does great sometimes with our Western minds. But here, he's quite precise. He starts by mentioning that verse one occurs six days before Passover. And then he goes on to say that this entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem occurs the next day. In other words, five days before Passover. John also, at least in my humble opinion, goes much further 
than the right writers of the so-called synoptic gospels in so the synoptic gospels are matthew mark and luke um goes much further than the other gospel writers in connecting the events of what we call easter to the passover and therefore painting jesus as the passover lamb one reading of this passage which i think has merit uses these details of timing to make that connection of Jesus as the Passover lamb more clear and more explicit. On the day that Jesus enters Jerusalem, so this reading goes, the Jewish people would have been selecting their Passover lamb and bringing it into the house. On the very day that Jesus comes into Jerusalem. So one reading of this is that actually the lamb is brought into the house on this day in more ways than one. And then later in the week, at around the time when Jesus breathed his last, they would probably have been slaughtering their Passover lambs. Now, I don't want to go into the technicalities of when the Jewish day begins and ends, and I might well be wrong. But it seems to me that at least one of the reasons why John suddenly gets very clear about dates and times is that he's pointing out to us that Jesus is himself the Passover lamb that is to be sacrificed. And then the next thing, there are only two things I'm trying to point out here, so don't worry too much. The, the next thing I want to mention is the whole thing of kingship. I only really want to mention this in passing, but by the time of Jesus, the, uh, the date palm branch, and most of the commentators say that these palms were date palms, um, the date palm branch was a symbol of Jewish nationalism. It had been for nearly 200 years by this stage. In the last few months, we've seen the three-fingered salute become a symbol of resistance in Myanmar. I didn't quite get this at first because when I was in the Scouts, the three-fingered salute was the Scout salute, but hey. Um, likewise, pictures of Nelson Mandela were once a symbol, of, a, a symbol of resistance, or in Ireland at one time, the image of the Irish harp date palm branches to these people in first century Israel were a symbol of resistance. It had previously been a symbol in the time of the Maccabees and here we see the crowd waving palm branches and shouting for the king of Israel as well as quoting Psalm 118 which is also a psalm about God's victory on behalf of his people. So these palm branches are declaring something of the people's expectation of God's deliverance of them as a nation, this time, so they hope, from the Romans. So I don't think it's just randomly palm branches. I think the, the, the gospel writers are explicit about the type of branches for a reason. Uh, there's more going on here than people grabbing the first things that came to hand. And the other Gospels also mention the throwing of their clothes on the ground before Jesus, which is something you would do for a king. You can see that in 2 Kings 9 verse 11 if you want to, to look it up. But what all of this and the things they shout are pointing to is that this is a king. Jesus rides into Jerusalem as a king, possibly not recognizably as a king, and he's a king who will be crucified less than a week later. But he is nonetheless a king. They shout that he's a king. They wave symbols of resistance 
for their coming king and they sing lines from a triumphant psalm. And John, to underline the point, quotes from Zechariah 9 verse 9 to underline that this is a king. This passage from Zechariah was certainly thought of in later times as speaking of the Messiah. And I'm sure that this verse must have been echoing in the minds of those who saw Jesus as he came into Jerusalem that day, riding on a colt so shortly before his crucifixion. So what do we make of this whole episode? Because it doesn't make much sense, does it, to our 21st century ears? And John doesn't always make it easy to see what he's getting at. But I take two things from this passage that encapsulate in many ways for me the message of Easter. This Jesus, the one riding on a donkey, is also the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, the one whose blood proclaims that we are God's people, through whose sacrifice we become children of God, forgiven, cleansed, made whole and drawn into all that God's doing in this world. But he's not just the lamb. He's also the king, the one under whose headship the whole of creation will be brought together. The one who, who entered Jerusalem as a king on a donkey, but will return as a king riding on the clouds. That's why later in Revelation, this same John who wrote this gospel talks about the lamb on the throne. Jesus is the one who did give himself for you and for me, but he's also the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one that we're waiting for and the one who is coming back. Um, and as I can't remember who it is, I think it's also John who says, come Lord Jesus. We do look forward to his return. We look forward to seeing him riding on the clouds rather than on a donkey. And we are the people his people who recognize that this lamb is also the king we get that connection between what it meant to sacrifice himself as well as being being the coming king so for me this passage on palm sunday joins together those two elements of the king and the lamb of god in a way that actually is quite beautiful and which we see again coming through in revelation um, so that I'm going to leave it there. Uh, otherwise, I will start waffling if I carry on much longer. But I just want us this morning to, to draw together in our minds those two thoughts, this king and this lamb. And also this idea that John is painting Jesus as a king in this passage and, and actually in his passion, his whole passion account, I think. But particularly here, he's painting Jesus as a king, a king coming into Jerusalem. So I'll hand back there to Jeff as we enter Easter week, a week in which we do begin to reflect on what that Easter story means and means for us. Jeff. Yeah, we do, Greg. Thank you for that. And uh, I was thinking there as you were so wonderfully explaining another aspect of the Easter story that uh, we've always got plenty to learn and plenty to discover. We may think that we know about Palm Sunday and we know about Easter, we know about Good Friday, but there's always more. And uh, Greg's done a great preach there and explaining particularly how Jesus is the King 
the lamb and the background to what John was writing about at that time. So thank you, Greg. Uh, 